0: Song of Songs. Our second scripture reading tonight. Uh, I want to do the Old Testament second. We're going to be talking about both passages we're reading. Um, so it would be good to have it open. I confess I actually didn't turn to it beforehand and it's kind of small. So. There we go. Uh, so we're going to be in chapter 1, chapter 4, and chapter 8. But I would encourage you, uh, we're going to be just kind of talking in broad strokes about this tonight, I would encourage you during this week, in the coming weeks, to, to spend some time reading through this and, and take some of the things we talk about tonight and, uh, and apply them and, and, and look and see and investigate and, and think of what you think of this book. Not many people, if they're honest, have really spent much time studying this book uh, for a number of reasons we'll talk about. So let, let, let's read our Old Testament passage and then we'll, uh, we'll get into the word. So please follow along with me, uh, starting in chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. It says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes, your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. And then the friends chime in. We rejoice and delight in you. We praise your love more than wine. Beloved, how right they are to adore you. If you turn the page over to chapter 4, we'll read verses 9, 10, and 11. The man chimes in, and in chapter 1 it was a woman speaking. Now we have a man responding, and he says, You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine, and the fragrance of your perfume than any spice. Your lips drip sweetness as the honeycomb, honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. And then one more, flip over one more page, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, as it's clear based on the songs and the text, we're talking about love tonight. We're talking about love because last week, you know, we talked about how we love God. And in doing so, we're going through the fruit of the Spirit week after week leading up to Easter. And, and I broke up love into two pieces. Last week, talking about loving God. And, and, I, and if you remember, if you weren't here, I basically said and, and taught that loving God is, is mandatory, Not because of what he does or how he acts, but because of who God is. And so to love him, we must know him and know who God is and accept that and love him. Both the good things God does for us and sometimes the confusing things God does. Because as we know in our lives, there's plenty of both. And tonight we want to talk about loving people, which I think may be one of the single greatest motivators in all of human history. You know, once we have our basic security met, a roof, food, you know, we're not too cold, we're not too hot, the first thing humanity really looks for is is the desire to love others and to find love from those we care about. And so some of this tonight may be a bit obvious, talk about the story of the Good Samaritan, we all know it rather well, but we're also going to talk about something that maybe we don't talk about as much in church, and that's what it looks like in a romantic relationship as well. To give and to receive love, we all desire this. And if you think about it, some of the greatest stories and poems and epic tales that are told throughout all of human history deal with this. They tell great stories of love. And in fact, many would argue that that's what the Bible is. It is a story of God's love with Abraham and Abraham's descendants. And then through Christ to the whole world, both the Gentile and the Jew. You know, but what's interesting, and many of you have, have heard this before, is that in English, some of you may come from languages where you have, your mother tongue may have multiple words for love and nuances and variations. And there's a little bit of that in English, but it's sort of silly. You know, I've said this before, but I use the exact same word for tacos that I use for my wife. I love tacos, and I also love Jenna. You know, and it, it, the English language is just a little limited. Because as much as I love cheeseburgers and tacos and things like that, it's just different, isn't it? You know, and, and, and so in, many of you have looked at this or have done word studies, but, but Hebrew and Greek had many, many words for love. And based on different inflection and based on different settings, they could have many, many words for love. And I just want to give you a reminder. We're going to talk about the Greek ones because they're more familiar to us. But I want to give you a reminder of the three main Greek words used for love. The first one we talked about last week, which is agape. You may have heard that before. It's the agape love, that perfect love that God shows us, his children. It's a holy love. It's God's love for us. The second love we see that we're going to talk about with the Good Samaritan is this philia, which is brotherly love. It's the root word for philanthropy and charity, right? How we go and we help others in need. Much of the instructions in the New Testament to love one another are in this brotherly love. But there's also a third love that it talks about in Scripture, and both Hebrew and Greek have a word for this. In in Greek, it's the word eros or eros. It's the root word for erotic. It's romance. It's a romantic love. And we find in the Song of Songs that this is important to God as well. Like I said, in English it's limited, you you know, we want to learn how to love and care for one another, but in Scripture God is very clear that these are important things we must know. And so, first in the Good Samaritan, let's look there first, Uh, and let's talk about that, and and we'll talk about brotherly love, and then we'll talk about uh, the romantic love. In reply to the greatest commandment in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is, is talking with people about how we do that. So if you remember the story, they come to him and they say, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, and Jesus says, well, how do you read it? What do, what do you think? And they say, well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, great. And then the man says, well, well then who is our neighbor? And so Jesus goes into this story. And the story, as I said, is one we're familiar with. There's a man who's, who's robbed and beaten and left by the side of the road, And in verse 31, it says that a priest passes by. You know, maybe the priest was on his way to temple, maybe he he, he couldn't touch the man for the sake of being unclean, but for whatever reason, he just moves on by. So to a Levite in the family of priests, a holy person, someone people would look up to by his clothes, you would know he was a Levite. And he, too, walks by. And then it says that the man who took pity on him was a Samaritan. Now, if you've done studies, you may know, I'm not going to go into it too much, but Jews and Samaritans didn't get along real great. In fact, that the Samaritans didn't get along so well that they actually built their own temple and their own area to worship. And Jesus saying this is clearly intentional. There were lots of religious rules and limitations that we won't go into, but just consider this. Each person in this story had a reason not to help. They all probably had a very legitimate reason not to help. But the Samaritan man doesn't seem to care. And he goes and he, he cares for the man and he nurses his wounds and he puts him up for the night. And he promises to pay his debt to make sure he would be okay. And this is a story taught to children that we all know, that we all love. And we, and we use it in this exact way. Hey, care for the people who need help. Love those who need love. And and many of us know this, that, that it's easy for us to love family and friends, but sometimes we miss the need right in front of us. And this gets to the heart of what brotherly love is. It is without limit. It's without border. It's defined by our ability to help the needs of others. What abilities do we have? Well, you know, we may not just be in the first world here in Switzerland. We may be in the upper percentage of the first world. We have wealth, we have comfort, we have gifts, we have education to share. And this idea of of brotherly love that the scriptures talk about, it overcomes race and religion, tradition, expectation, because it's from the very Spirit of God. Two weeks ago, we talked about the Holy Spirit being the very breath of God inside of us and the thing that gives us life. And so if we believe that Jesus Christ is crucified, died for our sins, resurrected on the third day, and have the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Galatians 5, when listing out the fruit of the Spirit, that our love will be coming from the Spirit of God. And that when we see someone in need, when we see a brother or a sister who is hurting, who needs help, that it should be the very Spirit of God that motivates us. That this will be evidence of the Spirit of God in our life. I mean, think about all the crises happening in the world right now and how people who don't even know Jesus are responding. There's people helping refugees and giving aid and helping food shortages all around the world. How much more should those who claim the name of Christ and have the Holy Spirit breathing inside of them desire to help? And see, this doesn't just include the things we see around the world, but think about your family, your coworkers, your neighbors. Not just the poor and the destitute, but those people who need our love. Who need us to love them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Yet we struggle. Because all of us know that loving other people like that costs, it costs us something. It's difficult. We have to give of ourselves. We have to pour out, as it were. And that's difficult. And also, we've been hurt. You know, many of us have tried to love and have tried to care, and we've been hurt. Someone maybe has taken advantage, someone maybe has hurt us, and so we have to be cautious with our time and our energy and our love because we know that we can't just give it freely, lest we get hurt and lest someone take advantage of us. But, but then we also do the opposite, don't we? We see a need, and we get so eager to help that we neglect something that we probably shouldn't neglect. You know, I've seen this before. in One of the old churches I used to serve at, it was a wonderful church, and there were all of these other congregations that met within the church. You know, we were in Denver, Colorado, but we had an Iranian church, a Hispanic, uh, Spanish-speaking church, we had an Ethiopian church, we had a uh, Cambodian church, we had one other one, I forget what it was, um, oh, Bhutanese refugees from Nepal, and, and we had all of these churches. And there was all of this need, and, and sometimes it was such a bummer because I would see Christians and I would say, you know, we should help and we should serve and we should give of our gifts to these people and some people would say well that's not really my calling I'm the second grade Sunday school teacher and that's where I serve and that's what I do and 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 being a second grade Sunday school teacher is awesome and it's great but when there's a huge need in front and you neglect something else that's not really brotherly love is it and that's not the story of the good samaritan everyone there in that story had a reason not to help and not to love but the samaritan man said it didn't matter. We have no idea what happened when he came back to that inn. That's one of the things I love the most about this story. We have no idea if they became friends. We have no idea if there was a huge debt he had to pay. He simply did what he felt he needed to do from his heart to care for this person. Because as many of us have learned, and some of us are still learning, love is not a transactional occurrence. We don't love to get. We don't love others only that we would receive love. And this man, this Samaritan, we have no idea. He gave freely to care for this person. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, let me encourage you. Only you know in your heart and in your life and what God has set before you, what he's calling you to do. It may be helping more at at church. It may be helping more at a a parachurch ministry. It may be helping more with those people in your neighborhood and loving your neighbors more. It may be helping more at work and being more of a light of Christ at work and not being concerned with the reward or the promotion that may or may not come. Not worrying about the recognition that may or may not come. This is what the Good Samaritan is about. Using your gifts to help needs you see in the world around you. What the Lord has placed on your heart You know, I always say this, what the Lord has has sort of reached into your heart and sort of squeezed your heart about. You know, when you pass sometimes people on the street and they're begging and you think, oh gosh, no, no, no. But then you see one person and you see one situation and it almost feels like someone's reaching in and squeezing the inside of your heart. And you think, I need to do something. What is the Lord putting in front of you to do? Who is the Lord putting in front of you to love as a brother or a sister? You know, because many people are not at home in the church. You know, there may be people here God is calling you to love, but odds are it's outside of these walls. You know, one of the things I'm I'm becoming more and more passionate about is a word that the people have sort of labeled spiritual exiles. You may never have heard this word before, but it's a great way to describe people. Spiritual exile is someone who maybe loves Jesus, Maybe wants to know Jesus, maybe loves God, maybe hasn't grown up in a church, but they're curious, but they don't feel welcome in a church, because churches aren't loving like Christ and like brothers and sisters. Instead, we're only loving people that are like us. You know, because love has not been at the forefront of a lot of churches, and so therefore people are saying we're spiritual and we want to love God, we want to love Jesus, but I just don't feel at home. Brothers and sisters, this is a place where we all should feel safe. We all should feel at home when we walk in these doors. And we are so bad. And I am at the front of the line. We are so bad at loving people that are not like us. A spiritual exile is someone who does not fit in, who does not feel safe, who wants to know God, but but for whatever reason, the church is not doing its job. This is the love we are called to have because let's as I said, it's easy to love people like you. It's really easy when I meet someone and, oh, we have the same interests. We have the same passions. We have the same hobbies. You, you love Jesus too in the exact same way I do. Awesome. Let's be best friends. We have so, and because of it, we've surrounded ourselves with people like us. We've surrounded ourselves with people who are easy to love. But that's not the story of the Good Samaritan and that's not a brotherly love. I want to come back to that at the end, but I want to mention briefly now Song of Songs and why we read that. Let me be clear about something. This may seem a little awkward, and historically you've probably never heard a lot of sermons about the Song of Songs. Uh, because it's just odd. And, and if you've read Song of Songs, it's, it's, it's fairly adult. If you spend some time in your devotionals and reading it, it has a lot of adult themes in it. See, let me be clear about something right now. Brotherly love, as far as Scripture is concerned, is prescriptive. Prescriptive, meaning it's obligatory. This is what God calls us to, to love one another as brothers and sisters. In fact, Jesus even says in Matthew 25 that this will be a measure with which he judges us. But romantic love is something altogether different. Romantic love is descriptive. Meaning that if you choose to enter into a romantic relationship with someone, if you choose to say, I love this person and I want to have a relationship with this person, God has given us guidelines and ways in which we can do it that honor him. See, because it's not a mandate for holy living. And so if you are in this room tonight and maybe you're not married or maybe you're single or maybe you were married and this kind of makes you uncomfortable, don't. Don't feel shame. Don't feel guilt. When God puts these things in here, what he's saying is you can live a holy, fulfilling life after Christ without this. But if you choose to do this, if you choose to engage in romantic love, the Bible has something for that, and it's the Song of Songs. Historic Jewish traditions maintain that this book, that this poem, is an allegory for God's love for for the, the Jewish people, the Israelite people. And Christians have sort of taken that mentality and said, well... It's really about Christ's love for the church. But when I read it, that makes me a little uncomfortable. (laughs) Because I don't think that's it. I read it and this is very clearly, I mean, you heard me reading it and you saw it on the screen, you saw it in your Bible. This is very clearly a man and a woman who are very in love. They want to be intimate, they want to share love, they want to share each other forever. And in fact, it's a a genre of writing that's just called love poetry. And it's very common in the ancient world, especially in Egypt. And it's basically, the Song of Songs is a story of a man and a woman going back and forth, talking about how much they care and love one another. And occasionally you have these little sections called friends, and it's just other people's perception of the beauty of their love and what they're going through. Some have attributed it to the, to the great writer Solomon, um, but seeing as he had 700 wives, he may not have had the best opinion of monogamy. And so my understanding is, is it was probably someone else who wrote it and attributed it to the wisdom of Solomon. Basically saying, this is so important. Loving one another is so important. It is on par with the wisdom in the book of Proverbs and the wisdom in the book of Ecclesiastes. And we, brothers and sisters in Christ, should listen to it. And so as we read, I just want to go back through it really quickly. It starts out with the woman speaking, and she says, Hey, let him kiss me. Your love is more delightful than wine, more pleasing than perfume. No wonder all the other women desire you. And then, and then we have an insert from the other people who see them, and they say, We rejoice and delight in this love. We praise your love. How right they are to adore you. How beautiful it is when two people love each other. And then in chapter 4, this is the man now speaking and responding a little bit later. He says, you have stolen my heart. With one glance of your eyes, you have stolen my heart. How beautiful is this? You know, just real quick about the sister thing. Um, in Hebrew, the word sister is not as literal. It's more of a, a term of affection. It means like little darling. So just, if that weirded you out, don't let it. Um, it's like the this, this, this Swiss-German, you know, Schatzli. It's like just a cute little, mein Schatzli, you know, his little darling. So it's a term of affection, not something weird. But then he goes on, and this is the woman again, basically wrapping up how powerful and how important love is in chapter 8. And she says these phrases that we know what this feels like. In verse 6, that love is as strong as death. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. Let the world know that we are in love. Many waters cannot stop the thirst and cannot wash it away. And if you tried to buy it, it would be fruitless. It would be, she says, utterly scorned. This is a beautiful poem of two people in love. And, and a Hebrew scholar that I actually was fortunate enough to take some classes from, he points out, his name's Dr. Richard Hess, he points out that this, the beauty of this poem is not necessarily just about the intimacy itself but about the desire that leads to that intimacy. And that when God wants two people to be together in a loving relationship, he wants them to desire one another, to honor God in a loving way, to lift that other person up, to lift them above themselves. And in light of the world today, in a masculine-dominated culture with abuse and where men have taken advantage of these sorts of things, You read this book, and it's amazing to see a female with a dominant voice in their love exchange. And not only that, but we have imagery of the Garden of Eden spread out throughout the book of Song of Songs and talking about, and I think, and what I really believe is saying, this is what God intended in the Garden of Eden. That man and woman would be together, loving each other in an equal, mutual love and desire just like the teachings in the New Testament that man and woman should be together in mutual submission under Jesus Christ. So, when you think, excuse me, when you think about the book Song of Songs, don't let it weird you out or scare you or I don't know what to do with it. Think of this book as joys of love. Think about this book as what God intended. If you desire and you enter into a relationship like this, this is what God has for you that there would be intimacy between you and your partner. And it is a great gift. But we also know that these desires can be a stumbling block and can lead to struggle. This is why some have chosen celibacy. And this is why some, and and, and I believe all Christians, should not enter into this commitment very lightly. Because the world might argue that we're animals. The world would argue that we're just highly evolved animals and that, you know, our passion and our attraction and our desire and intimacy are chemical and they're just instincts and it's not something we choose, but that's not what I see in scripture. If you choose to love somebody, if you choose to lift someone up in a God-honoring way, It is to know and to be known to that person. What God desires, if you choose, is to be 100% open and honest and loving with that person. And that there would be no shame and no guilt about hiding the desire and the love you have. Think about the first reaction to sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. It says suddenly they were aware of their shame and their nakedness. God desired that when we choose to love someone there is no shame and there's no embarrassment, but there is freedom to embrace and desire one another. Love is a gift that points us to worship. And if we choose to enter into this, remember, it's not descriptive, you don't, or it's not prescriptive, you don't have to. God is very clear that, that we can have a full loving life by loving our brothers and loving God, but we have desires. Let's be honest about it. We're men, we're women, we have desires, we have passions. And if we have those passions, let us go to God and see why he gave them to us. That desire is okay and that God gave us love as a blessing. Do not run from it. I once heard it described like this, like fire, right? Fire is is essential to survival. It gives us life, but out of control it can destroy everything. These things are a gift from God, and God desires us, whether we're loving our brothers and sisters, whether we're loving the one person we have committed our life to, to do it in a way that honors him. To do it in a way that should not fear or make us run away from God, but that we embrace the gifts he has given us through the Holy Spirit. So we have one command tonight that we must do, which is love one another like brothers and sisters, like the good Samaritan in that perfect selfless love. Love our neighbor as ourselves. And then one command, if you should choose to undertake it, should honor God. Let me close with saying this is that love is not easy. Many of you know that. Anyone who's been married, anyone who's entered into an intimate relationship with a good friend knows it hurts. It costs us things. We give a lot of ourselves. And everyone as It's the same way the priests and the Levites as they walked by, they had reasons. They had reasons not to. Everyone has a reason not to love. Anyone who's ever been hurt can immediately think when they enter into any kind of relationship and say, I've been hurt before, I have a reason not to love. Yet that same love the Apostle Paul says in Galatians is the evidence of our love for God and the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's so important that he actually says it is the very first fruit of the Spirit that we will see. It is the fruit and the evidence of the Spirit is love. And through his letter to the Corinthians, he also said that love was the most excellent way to live the beginning of chapter 13, he said, you can go and do all the greatest things in the world, but if you have not love, you are like a clanging cymbal. You are just noise. And Jesus says that all love comes first from the Father who loved us. God has ordained love that we would lay our lives down for brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would desire and love our partner in a way that God sees and it honors him. As love is from the Holy Spirit, it is a gift from God meant to be embraced and meant to worship Him. Please pray with me. Lord God, we give You our desires, we give You our plans, we give You our relationships. As we sang before in the song Hosanna, break our heart for what breaks Yours in the world around us. Lord, show us how to love like You love. Lord, we are not perfect husbands and wives. We are not perfect friends. We are not perfect sons and daughters. We are not perfect brothers and sisters. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have promised us that you will teach us. Lord, teach us how to love. Teach us how to be gracious. Teach us how to use wisdom in all we do and all we say. Today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen.